And Ben, just quickly tell us a little about yourself, because you sure. won't be known to everyone. Where, who, where, where are you from? Uh, I'm, I'm from Brighton originally, uh, down south in Brighton. Um, I became a Christian at Brighton Vineyard, and uh, I'm studying well, I'm studying theology at London School of Theology, which used to be London Bible College just down the road. Wonderful. Well, let's just pray for Ben, and then off you go, mate. Let's just raise a hand to him. Father, thank you for, thank you for this, the ministry of preaching and teaching that goes on in this place. And, and we are humbled that you send so many gifted communicators to be part of the team here. And Lord, as, uh, as Ben steps up to the plate this morning, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, as the old Pentecostals used to say, your Holy Spirit will move upon the Word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, buddy. Much, Chris. It is such a privilege. I can't even begin uh, to say how honoured I am to be invited up uh, to speak today and also to, to teach on the Essentials course. Um, Chris and Fliss, uh, Richard, uh, Linda, um, uh, John have been just so kind to me since I've been here at the church, and it, it really is just, just thank you so much for allowing me to speak this morning. Um, now, the gospel is just, it is so massive. Um, it's hard to kind of fit in as much as I can in this 30-minute talk this morning. And uh, so I really do encourage you to come on Tuesday and for the uh, 104 because there is so much, it, it, it needs to be unpacked uh, as much as possible. And it is just so exciting. You know, when we understand what the gospel is, it, it, just, it just blows our mind. And once we get it, once we understand, we want to tell everyone. We want to we get people to that place of understanding where we are, and share this, this good news that uh, the Bible talks about. Yeah. Now, my favorite show, one of my favorite shows at the moment, uh, is a show called uh, Dragon's Den. Has anyone seen Dragon's Den? It's on the BBC. Yeah, a lot of hands. It's, it's a great show. If you haven't seen it, uh, they have these five entrepreneurs, um, very experienced, very wealthy, very clever people, and uh, they invite members of the public who uh, have a business idea to pitch their business idea to these five dragons. And they walk up the steps... And they get to these entrepreneurs, and often they're, they're very, very nervous, and uh, they have to pitch and sell their idea to these five dragons. And it's fascinating, because the dragons sit there with this huge pile of cash, and they sort of stroke their chins and fire questions at these entrepreneurs. And I've often wondered, um, because the Bible talks about judgment, it talks about us being at the judgment seat of God, whether it's going to be like that, whether we're going to walk up steps reflecting on everything we've done in our lives, and then we're going to face God, and he's going to ask us what gives you the right to live with a, uh, in eternity with me. Now, hopefully, well, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to hopefully unpack that answer today. You know, we will stand before God with, in a sense, dragons breathing down our necks, saying, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve to spend eternity with God. But we have an answer we have an answer that says, yes, yes, we do. And when we know that answer, again, just peace comes, joy comes when we know we stand secure in the knowledge that we will spend eternity with this amazing, loving God. Now, first, what is it that we are saved for? What is this, this kingdom? Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. Now, what is it? Now, I don't know about you, but when Jesus talked about the kingdom, he sort of, he doesn't really make it very clear. I mean, he says in the Gospels, let me tell you, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. And he gets his disciples around. And he says, let me tell you, it's like a man digging in a field. Now, I don't know about you, but my, <laughs> my thoughts of what heaven's going to be like is, I don't know, plasma screen TV, gold-plated swimming pool, a really nice view over the mountains. We're going to sit there on a sun lounger. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man digging in a field. 
What's he on about? And then he says, the kingdom of God is like a man searching for fine pearls. Now, well, the first he says, there's a man digging in a field, and he's digging away, and then he finds this treasure. And he's so amazed at this treasure, he covers it up, and then runs away, sells everything he has in order to buy the field and own the treasure. Now, there's something interesting about this parable that Jesus shares, that the kingdom of God is worth so much. It's worth everything we have. It's worth spending time to try and find. And then when we do find it, it's worth selling everything, giving up all our possessions for. Again, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man, a merchant searching for fine pearls, searching for something unique. You know, a merchant would have, would have seen hundreds, if not thousands of pearls in his lifetime. And he's searching and he's going through them. And he finds one so amazing and so unique that he decides to sell everything he has in order to buy that one pearl. Now, I'm not sure if the guys on the upper tier can see, but there are guitar pedals down here. Uh, I'm, I'm a guitar, guitarist myself. And us guitarists, we, we try and find that unique sound. We try and find something that sounds different to any other guitarist. And when you find that sound, when you find that little pedal, which, is, uh, which will go in your, in your kit, you, you just sell the other ones, which are just not as good, so that you can have this and have this unique sound. So you may be here today and you don't know Jesus. You, you may be wondering, is there a God? Now, you are like that merchant that's searching for that unique truth, that unique thing, that thing that is so different, that is so unlike anything else you've heard. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. You're searching, and when you find it, it is worth, it is so worth giving up everything for. If you read in the scripture, it says, the man sells all that he has in joy, uh, in the, where is it? Hidden in a field, he sells with joy. In his joy, he goes and sells everything he has. See, it's not a burden. When we know this, when we find it, we think, I've arrived, I've got it. I'll gladly sell everything. I'll gladly give everything. Because it is so worth it. It is so worth it. Now, in my experience growing up, before I became a Christian, I, I used to go to church, and I used to think, I mean, is this it? I mean, Really? Really, I mean, my, my experience of Christians is they were, they were quite boring. They were quite dull. They all, all wore glasses. No offense to anyone who wears glasses today. Um, they wore glasses. They were quite dull. But they were all very nice, very polite. And you couldn't fault them on that. But I just thought, is this it? You know, I'd hear people talk about the love of God. I'd hear people talk about God's power. And I'd look around. And I'd go to nice churches, go to nice cathedrals. And i think, you know, if, if there is a God, then... Is it, then yeah, I'll, I'll give myself for it. But if there isn't, then do I want to spend my time here? And the gospel message is, there is so much more. There is so much more. Just, just come, come and find out. And what is it that is so amazing? What is it that is so unique about Christianity? What is it that, is, that makes it this fine pearl? What is it that makes it this great treasure? And the answer is Jesus. Now, what is so unique about Christianity is the person of Jesus. Now, I fell in love with Jesus when I met him. You know, the people who've heard my testimony uh, just, just know the effect it had on my life when I encountered Jesus. And I tell you, he is worth everything. He is worth so much. So there's a story in John's Gospel, John chapter 2, 1 to 11. If you've got a Bible, feel free to open it up. And uh, it talks, we have this interesting story. It's the first miracle that Jesus performs. And he's at this wedding, this amazing wedding. 
and they've run out of wine. And the master of the banquet, he's, he just freaks out. He thinks, we've, we've run out of wine. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Jesus' mother goes to him, says, they've run out of wine. And, and he, he, interestingly, in the story, he just kind of fobs her off. He's just like, oh, my hour's not yet come. Just leave me alone. You know, kind of like, a, I suppose, what I was like when I was a teenager. Yeah, mom, get lost. And then all of a sudden, he kind of changes his mind. Very strangely, he just radically changes his mind. And uh, Jesus' mum says to the servants, do everything Jesus says. And Jesus says to the servants, you see those vats of water used for purification? Fill them up to the top, the very top, and then serve them at this, at this banquet, at this wedding. So they do that. And as they do it, they find out that the water had been turned into wine. In some amazing way, the water that was there had been turned into wine. Now, this is something that is so amazing about Jesus, is just being around Jesus, first of all. Just being around him, we see miracles. We see things happen. We see things which shouldn't happen in the day-to-day. Something supernatural. God intervenes through the person of Jesus. We see Jesus walking around and at somewhere where, you know, the Pharisees would have criticized him for being at, a place where people were getting drunk. We see him there, and God intervenes and does something miraculous. Just being around Jesus, we see this transformation. Just being around people who know Jesus, we see these, these interesting things, these unique things that are happening in their lives. And the second thing I want to point out for this passage is the servants are, are a part of the miracle. And we think that Jesus kind of gets them to fill it up with water, goes like that, and then they carry it. And then they serve it. But it's in the serving, it's in the service of Jesus that this miracle happens. I don't know about you, but that strikes me as odd. And why is it that it's the servants who get to see this amazing thing? See, in my experience, I've learned the most about Jesus. You know, I, I study theology. I love studying theology. I love reading my books. I love finding out as much as I can and arguing and debating with people and listening to scholars but my most intimate times with Jesus have been when I've served him. I've been in that place of praying for somebody or serving communion and just seeing his love poured out through, through me. I mean, I'm, I'm nothing special. Neither are these servants. I mean, they're, they're there, you know, washing the dishes. And then Jesus' mother comes and says, you know, do whatever he says. And they think, oh, great. Okay, fine. What do you, what do you want, Jesus? Fill it up with water. Okay, fill it up. And then this miracle happens. And they're like, well, that's odd. That's strange. See, have you been serving the wrong master? Have you been living a life where you just feel constantly burdened, constantly under pressure, constantly feeling like you have to perform day after day after day and getting no rest? Because serving Jesus is so different. Being a part of his kingdom, being a follower of Jesus, again, we would gladly, I would gladly, again, give everything I had to follow Jesus, because he is a different master to any master you would find, any person that would tell you how to live, cannot tell you with even a minute fraction of of the compassion that Jesus can. To follow Jesus, to serve him, it's, it's, again, comfort any better, it's just wonderful. Now Jesus then said this in Matthew 13, 47 to 50. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net thrown into the sea. And it collects all kinds of fish. And then it's brought ashore. And the fishermen go through the fish. And then they divide it between the good fish and the bad. They throw the bad away and they keep the good fish. And they put it in containers. And so it will be like at the end of the age, it says in the parable. Now this is something that is difficult, again, for me to preach on about the gospel because I'd love to just leave it at that. You know, Jesus is wonderful. It's great, fantastic. Amen, let's, let's clap. But there is this offense with the gospel, that there is this edge to it, that you have to decide. You're either in and you want to, or you don't. It's really hard. The more I study, the more difficult it comes up as we see this, this amazingly compassionate, loving God, and then this line he just draws in the sign and says, in the sand and says, that's enough. Now for us, we're back in the den again, aren't we? Now Jesus has said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. But also, this is what it's going to be at the end time. Have you decided? Have you made a decision? Have you listened and obeyed and followed? And as I, as, as I can imagine standing there, what's my answer going to be? What's our answer going to be? When God stands there and says, well, you haven't done this, you haven't behaved like that, what are we going to say? And we turn to scripture and we find the most amazing answer in Ephesians 2. It says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So it is this, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is our assurance. That is what we say when we're accused by people who say, you're not a Christian. You're not good enough to be a Christian. I mean, I've, I've seen the way you live. But we answer, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I get my security through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. It is our faith in Jesus, and only Jesus, which both transfers the punishment for our sin and gives us right standing with God. Again, it's quite nuanced, this, and I, I wish I could unpack uh, you know, the, these, these big doctrines of things about the cross, and I urge you to come to the, the Essentials course because it is so massive. There is so much more to say about Jesus' death on the cross, which I just can't unpack right now. It is that which initiates our salvation. From that, we live in a way that shows God and our accusers that we belong to him. It shows them that we are both the treasure and the pearl that Jesus bought and that we are the good fish that is put in a container. So we read this parable about the kingdom of God being uh, like a man digging in a field and a man searching for fine pearls. And the commentaries say it's all about us searching for the kingdom of God. 
and finding it and giving up everything we have. But the parables, you can read with, with different angles, looking at them in different ways. And one of the ways to read this is that Jesus walked on the earth, that Jesus dug in the field, that Jesus saw us and saw us and was so amazed by what he saw, gave up everything he had, gave up everything he had in order to buy the field, in order to have us as his possession. That Jesus was searching for that unique thing, that thing that was different from all creation, the thing that stands apart from everything else that has been made. And he sees that fine pearl and sells up everything he has to buy it. See, we are that treasure. We are that pearl. That Jesus looks upon us and gladly says, I will give everything. I will die so that I may have them. I will give up everything. See, who can serve Jesus? Who can be a part of his kingdom? See, this, this wonderful thing about Jesus is he is unique. He, he's the only way that we can find salvation. But he's universal. He is for everybody. There is no one here who God looks upon and goes, well, I, I wouldn't die for you. I couldn't use you. See, he chose the servants. He didn't choose the king to serve the wine. He didn't choose the strong men. He chose the people that were just traded off and bought and sold like slaves. He chose them to do the miracle. He chose them. He loved them. He can use us. And it's this amazing story that we see this through, by grace through faith in Christ. See, I don't know about you, but if I try and do a miracle, it kind of doesn't end up very good. Well, it doesn't work. You know, I've, I've tried to change myself. I've tried, I will admit, I've tried to turn water into wine. <laughs> and it hasn't worked. But Jesus, but through following Jesus, I've seen miracles happen. Now, I'm not good enough. I will I gladly stand before God and say, I'm not good enough. But I will also stand there and say, but God, you've, you've used me. This is also our defense that it is by grace. Of course we're not good enough. But here, here against all those accusers, but here is how God has used me. Here is how I've followed and obeyed. Here is how I've been a good fish. See, it is our love for Jesus and our decision to keep following Jesus that enables us to serve him and to demonstrate that we serve him and love him. The servants in John's gospel could not turn water into wine, no matter how hard they could have tried. But after serving Jesus, they could say, well, here is the evidence that he is my master. I haven't just said it. I haven't just said yet by faith, by grace through faith. But actually, I've demonstrated that God, I'm not good enough. But I understand that you love me. And here is the evidence. Here is the evidence. See, Paul says this. In Philippians 3, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So when we stand before the dragons who accuse us and say, well, you're not good enough. You haven't done anything. You you call yourself a Christian. How can you say you, you, you deserve to go to heaven? We can stand there with confidence and say, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I can do nothing. I can do nothing but surrender to Jesus. Give him everything I have. And from that, he will use me and, pro- and, and prove through his grace that he loves me. And he is such a worthy master. If you don't know him, I can't, again, I can't articulate enough how wonderful it is to know Jesus, how wonderful it is to serve him, how miracles occur in people's lives. The, the people that I think he wouldn't touch, he wouldn't dare go near, I've seen transformed. If I, I've got a couple of minutes. I'll just share this one story of, of one of the times that really, really profoundly affected me in, in, in terms of this. I was in Denmark, and I was at a Baptist conference, and um, I made good friends with this guy called Daniel. He was about, I think, 16 at the time. Um, and we were chatting, and we were ha- just talking about God stuff, you know, because we're so holy. And um, we were talking just about healings and miracles and stuff. And, um, and uh, we, we were walking around the campsite, and he said, oh, come and, come and meet my parents. I said, yeah, why not? And uh, we went, and they were in this sort of caravan-type thing with, a, with an awning over the top. And uh, we're just chatting outside. And his little brother, who was about nine at the time, just sort of came out hobbling. And I said to him, oh, what's, what's wrong with your brother? And he just said, oh, he's, he's got this problem with his feet. Um, he, he finds it really painful when he walks, can't play football for long periods of time. Um, and he came over to his mum, and I said to his mum, oh, is he, is he going to the evening service? Is he coming to, to church at the conference? And she said, oh, maybe. And I've asked out girls before, and when you ask a girl out and they say maybe, it's often a no. <laughs> Um, so, so I kind of thought, okay, well, probably not then. Uh, is he going to the evening service? Is he going to the children's church service? And she said, maybe. Um, so I said, well, do you mind if I pray for him? You know, can't hurt. Do you mind if I pray? And she was like, yeah, sure. So we went into their little caravan thing, the awning over the top. And I just said, oh, just close your eyes and let's pray. And... Uh, I spoke in English, he, he was Danish, he couldn't understand a word I was saying, so he just closed his eyes. And uh, I just prayed, Jesus, just come and meet him. And he fell over, which kind of took me by surprise. Um, and he was on the floor, and I noticed his feet, they were kind of curling and opening up. And I didn't have any, any faith at this point, I just thought, well, you know, he'll get up and he'll say, it still hurts, and then, uh, you know, we'll just go on. And uh, he got up. And uh, I said, well, how are your legs? He said, well, they, they feel fine. And I said, well, he's lying, clearly. Um, he's, a, he's from a Christian home. He should be taught not to lie. Um, so I said, well, how, 
are you okay? And he said, yeah. And he grabbed his football and just ran off. And I found out the next day um, from his brother that he'd been born with the opposite of flat feet, so a really, really high foot arch. So it was incredibly painful for him to walk. And he was embittered already at the age of nine against God. You know, how, how could God let this happen to me? And he mocked his brother's, brother's faith quite openly. And in that moment, I saw Jesus touch him and heal him and show his love to him. See, that's the master that we follow. That's the kind of master that we follow. That's the kind of Jesus that we worship. That's the person who I'd gladly, again, give absolutely everything for. Because he was willing to use me. Willing to use me. Not through any goodness that I have. Not through the law. Not through any good works. But he used me. And if you want to be used by Jesus, if you want to see those kind of miracles, we have a a ministry team that meet on my right, your left, and now's the time, today's the time to meet this amazing Jesus.